0: Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you and praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him into the darkness of our world. And we ask now that you would even break forth in our midst during this time with the light of your truth and your good news through Jesus, that our hearts may be forever changed. So we ask this for your glory and for our eternal benefit. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 So today, if you just came from the 9 o'clock service, you might have noticed that we had a special theme for today, liturgically, that we don't normally, it's, does anybody know, did you notice that? I didn't preach on it, but we had it in there. It, what's that? Yeah, the presentation of Jesus in the temple, and this is when he went to the temple, his parents brought him to the temple, he was, um, and there was this prophet who was there, this older gentleman named Simeon. And Simeon, upon seeing Jesus, he had been waiting with expectation for the coming Messiah. And then upon seeing Jesus, what does he say? But he has this just prophetic word that comes out of him. He just, it's almost like he can't even keep it in. And he exclaims, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I can die now because I've actually seen what I've been waiting for according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the gentiles and for glory to your people israel do you hear that theme of light it is no mistake that this little feast this minor feast during our liturgical year happens to fall within the greater season of epiphany When anybody thinks about epiphany what do you think of Light and aha, right? The little cartoon light bulb going off over someone's head. Well, there's no mistake that there's this aha moment for Simeon when he encounters Jesus. And it's true for us, too, that there is an aha moment that changes our life when we encounter Jesus. The prophets of the Old Testament looked forward to the coming of Jesus, just as that Simeon in the temple was looking forward to Jesus' coming. He was in this long prophetic tradition, and Isaiah says in chapter 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Isaiah, like many of the other prophets, knew that the darkness of sin was in the world and even rooted in the hearts of the people of God. And they knew that the troubles and trials, some of the troubles and trials that they were experiencing were God's judgment upon their sin. And they understood that judgment in terms of darkness and their sin in terms of language of darkness. So when Isaiah prophesied that the people who walked in darkness would see a great light, he was looking forward to the coming of Jesus. He saw in advance what God would do. Zechariah too, um, the um let's see Mary's brother-in-law, let's do the family tree. Mary's brother-in-law, remember in Luke chapter one, he talks about his newborn son, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for Jesus. And he prophesies about his own son, and he says, You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He understood the coming of Jesus to be like a sunrise, mercy shining like a sunrise over a darkened earth. He too understood Jesus' coming to mean the forgiveness of sins, for all those who believed in Jesus he had a window into God's purposes for the world so Jesus of course then breaks it wide open when he says what does Jesus say in John in the gospel of John Jesus says more than once he says it twice just in case we missed it the first time he says I am the light of the world and the second time he says this he says I am the light of the world and then boom he heals a man who was born blind, showing tangibly that he is, in fact, the light of the world, that he brings God's forgiveness and hope to a people in darkness. And so John, um, the Gospel of John's words in that first chapter of John's Gospel, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then also, the, um, Saint John says in his epistle, his first epistle, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We have great hope through Jesus Christ, the light of the world, hope of forgiveness, and then hope of resurrection, everlasting life, new life even today. So there is that epiphany moment as we encounter Jesus, as the scriptures um, bear witness to Jesus, as the prophetic tradition bears witness to Jesus and Jesus himself recognizes that truth about himself not just that but he's a light not just for the Jewish people in Matthew's gospel Matthew quotes again the prophetic tradition he quotes again the book of Isaiah and the prophet Isaiah and he says "In um, Isaiah says this of the people of Israel and it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and then in the newly reconstituted people of God, those of us who believe in Jesus. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Jesus is that light for the nations, the new covenant. And through faith in him, we too, as we are united in him, we are called to bear forth his name to the world. And the scriptures make it clear that it's to all nations, people of every culture, every family on earth. So there is that aha moment that is not just for God's covenant people, the Jewish people, but also for all nations. Again, in the book of Acts, This idea is appropriated for all the people of God that those who believe in Jesus will then be a light to others. Isaiah 49 is quoted in Acts 13. I have made you a light for the Gentiles and the Gentiles were anybody who wasn't Jewish. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Salvation is for all peoples, light for all nations. And this promise is the fulfillment of the promise that God made long ago to Abraham in Genesis. He said, I will bless those who bless you, to Abraham, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And so I point this out to you because um, Jesus, the light of the world, is not just a flash in the pan moment, but God had been preparing his people all along with expectation for this light to shine, for this sunrise of Jesus' coming to be made known to them. Um, And so when Jesus then rises from the dead, what does he say to his disciples? He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, bear the light of Christ to all peoples, he says. Um, then in in Luke it says the Christ should suffer. It is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Those first disciples of Jesus were witnesses to Jesus as the light of the world. And we too as believers in him are called to be witnesses, even in the midst of the darkness, that we might find um, in our own households, in Birmingham, in Alabama, in the United States, and even to the ends of the earth. Um, And why? Why do we do this? What is the ultimate purpose? It's to bring the glory of all the nations into the heavenly temple, into the new Jerusalem, So that all nations would worship God the Father, all would see and know that he is God and he is good and he has loved us even to the point of his own death. And so in Revelation, there's this beautiful vision of the end of what will happen at the end of all things. That as the new Jerusalem descends down to earth, then all nations will come into that new city. All nations will worship God, people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And by the light of that city, by the light of the Lamb, the nations will walk. And so we see light all throughout Scripture, from the very beginning even to the very end, made manifest in Jesus Christ and then entrusted to us as Christ-bearers into a darkened world so that then at the end of all things we all might dwell in that city of light with Jesus Christ, our Lord, to worship him eternally. So I think of my twinkle lights. I leave my twinkle lights up um, all the way through Epiphany. My parents have this tradition. They they finally set up their Christmas tree and then they think, oh no, we've got to take it down when Christmas is over. And they've decided to linger through the 12 days of Christmas. So usually by January 6th, then they take the Christmas tree down. But they've, maybe it's sentimentality as they get older, but they've just decided to leave the um, twinkle lights on their mantle, just because the light is still, you know, it's still dark outside. It's still a long night that we have until the light grows and the day gets longer. And so they'll leave those little twinkle lights, as little signs of hope. And um, I have taken to do that too. And I turned them on last night and I was just like, They're so beautiful, aren't they? The light shining even in the midst of that darkness. Mm The gentle light of each little twinkle light strung together. And I think about that, too. I do a lot of flying, and one of my favorite things is to fly into a city at night. And as you get lower below the cloud cover and you start to go (laughs) lower, you can see all the lights, can't you? I love thinking about that. Wow, those are places where there are people. You can see the lights even from that far out. Well, we are called by Jesus to be also a light for the world, even as he is a light for the world, and yet in a lesser way. Because the light that we bear is, in fact, his light, not ourselves. We don't preach ourselves, we preach him. But um, that idea of being a light for the world, Matthew said this in chapter 5. Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. So in John, Jesus is saying that he is the light of the world, and yet then he says that we are also um, the light of the world as we bear him to the world. And yet we bear him imperfectly, don't we? We bear him um, in the broken vessels of our own lives, our own selves. And there's a great example used in St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians. And he writes to them, Um, about being uh, lights in the darkness and what that means even as broken human vessels. He says, In the case of those perishing, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of God belongs to God and not to us. The treasure of this truth of the gospel is held in jars of clay in our own imperfections, in the cracks within our own beings as we are honest about our weaknesses the light of Christ shines through so that we're not boasting in ourselves um, but rather letting um, Christ be exalted and glorified and so one of the things that happens as people are missionaries to uh, in cross-cultural situations um, one of the things that happens so often is that as we seek to proclaim Christ the light of the world and the good news of salvation through him we very often find ourselves aware of those cracks even as we're seeking to proclaim Christ, we sometimes say, wow, there's a lot of darkness in me too. I don't really have it all right, but I'm pointing to Jesus Christ, the light. And so I'll keep pointing to him, even as I acknowledge my brokenness and my weakness along the way. And so one of the things in my own experience with, um, I'm, I'm just a sensory mess. And I don't know if, um, I've been on a couple of missions, short term mission trips, I'm so hot and tired and I can't, if half of the battle is getting over how you feel to even just like be normal and say hello to someone, I mean, in my experience, and maybe that's because I'm extra clay, but just even just that getting over yourself to say, yeah, I really am uncomfortable here, and yet uh, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And so being even, even in a place of discomfort in another culture is so good for us. Um, even as it points to Christ. Um, So that was something that these men had the opportunity to do a couple weeks ago, to go and see what (coughs) God is doing in Nicaragua. And so we're gonna hear from them. We're gonna hear about the light of Christ there in Nicaragua and what they saw there, what they saw um, as they visited these missionaries and the different ministries they're involved in. And then also what they saw even in themselves as they were in a different context. Um, so what I'm going to do? I'm going to play a video of their time there. You'll get to see a little bit of um, some some pictures and stuff. And then we're going to hear from Lauren just for a couple of minutes. We have we have a star here in our midst. No, she doesn't. I know she doesn't like that, but I'm still doing it anyway. Well, I, it's so rare that like you're here, and we didn't we didn't advertise it, but I'm still saying, guess what? Lauren Divert's here. So we're going to hear from her for a couple of minutes about the ministry that the Lord has called her and Mike to. In Nicaragua, and then we're going to hear from the men. So, ready? It takes just a
1: minute think
2: Okay. Yeah. <coughs> Touch down in the cold black tower Hold on for the sudden stop. Breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos. All those people going somewhere? Why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can. so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your heart for the broken hearted To the far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 I can't see, everything that I keep missing, give me your love for humanity, give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach, give me your heart for the ones forgotten, give me your eyes so I can't see, give me your eyes Give so I can't
0: Right there on the guys doing someone doing construction yeah that's good Lauren.
3: i mean speaking of being a light these men were certainly a light to us as well um it was it was a perfect time i think god kind of ordained it perfectly to come when we were in a season of uh, many disappointments and they just had um vision for us and words and prayer and it was um It was a beautiful time, so I thank all these men for being a light to us and the wives who let them come for that week, thank you. Um, So my name is Lauren, Um, I am the daughter of Barbara and Ed Partridge here, and so I grew up in Mountain Brook and married a man named Mike, who is from Ohio originally, but we met in Nicaragua after I promised Mom I was only going there two years and then (laughs) (laughs) fell in love. (laughs) Um, So I guess to tell you about what we did, do in Nicaragua I sort of need to describe kind of the problem and then go into the solution it's twofold I think Um, there's clearly the economic but that is so very secondary to the main problem which is um, a a spiritual poverty Um, we have it in the United States in another version and then Nicaragua it's, it's it's own version and the kind of way we see that manifested is people believe um, they believe in God and they believe that He is a Savior, but they struggle to know what that translates into in life. So this this question of like John 10:10, 10, 10, what is the abundant life um, that God has come to bring? They don't they don't know how to grasp that um, in their families, in their communities, in their churches. Um, one of the main things we see is that there's, there's a struggle for reconciliation, the sense of, of going to someone and seeking forgiveness, of, of bringing those relationships back into, into shalom. Um, and then just a sense that that, that they have no purpose or, or a specific value. Um, so those are major, major spiritual um, poverties that we see there. And then of course there is the economic. Um, underemployment which means you either have no job or work one odd job once a week so end up with nothing so kind of coming into seeing that you see that there's sort of this this culture without a real sense of discipleship of what it means to live this life in Christ Um, and then you see all of the the economic battles they have as well so looking at those two things um, Mike was just praying through, what What do you want me to do, God? Where Where would you have me in this country? And he felt God very clearly say, well, you know that blacksmithing hobby you learned? Just who knows why? Um, that's what I want you to do. Um, and so he started with this, a really small school in a small town and taught blacksmithing to a bunch of men. And then the beautiful thing about working with your hands, and I think maybe more with men than women, is that they can focus on something else and then they can talk about God without having a sense of, of fear or embarrassment and all those things. So praise God, that's what it ended up being. Yes, blacksmithing, yes, a lot of men learned, but more than anything, it's, it's let's talk about Christ and what he means for us and, and who we are and how we live life and how we do family. Um, so he started that school and then eventually it has grown into something much bigger in central Managua and we um, are teaching... 135 high school students, blacksmithing, carpentry, welding, um, auto mechanics, sewing, and cooking. And we have seven teachers in total, seven Nicaraguan teachers. And then the the thing that our heart is is most um, involved in is the apprenticeship program, which is we take those seven teachers we have and then work with church leaders in Nicaragua who recommend apprentices to come to us and learn a trade for about two years and in that time also learn um, through Bible study and counseling and um, kind of marriage training, fam- parenting training, all of those things, kind of what it is to live out this, this abundant life. Um, as a side, I, I work with women who are coming out of prostitution and do the same thing with, with trades as well. And then that of course lends itself to talking about who our Lord is um, for these women. And, and th- their main struggle is um, a sense of feeling forgiven Um, so working with their hands they they can talk that out as well Um, so that is what we do and then elizabeth is um, in nca matagalpa which is um, a small christian school and she is there um, building up those children so that they may know who the lord is and and what he, he can be in their lives ultimately our our heart, Elizabeth's as well, is to train leadership in this country. They—they've lost that sense of people who can disciple. So we're—we're we're trying to disciple disciplers so that they can then be a light to to their own country. So that's the ultimate thing. Is that fast enough? Yeah. Okay. Yes, you're wonderful. Oh <laughs> <laughs> <We> could <can,
0: okay, laughs> take your. Thank you. But these you. men should talk but they were awesome. Thank you. Well, I'm going to start with um, George Eliot. Just stay right there. I'll, uh George Eliot, as you might know, his daughter is our other um, advent supported missionary in Nicaragua, and so that's elizabeth so. Okay. and you had an experience before the trip and then also during the
4: trip right. Is that right uh Shirley and I had the good fortune to go down in early December to just to visit with Elizabeth and to really vacation with her uh which she needed at that time, but we um going back with these men. It, w- it was different. Um, initially, when Elizabeth decided to to go to Nicaragua, I, I thought of uh, th- this little light of mine. You know, here I am sending my little girl. Well, those of you that know her, I had nothing to do with it, uh, <laughs> other than being at the hospital the day she was born. But um, in th- that image stuck with me as we were preparing, as we men were preparing to go. That you know what what can I do? What you know. My little light what what can I do and you know it was it was profound the way that that uh, as I you know opened my heart, thinking that I was going to shine down down there th- those people it, it was all shining back um, as I look through these pictures again and again, I see that i'm standing around all the time and it's and it's. And it's, and it's I, I felt like I felt like the light was shining on me um, and it was it it, it, it was magnificent to see the, the the light that that Lauren and Mike are, and Elizabeth, the light that they're shining in in the darkness. There, um, it's magnificent what what the Lord's doing with them.
0: Thank you, and you can just pass it on. Um, Britton Neal, you don't need to stand up. I'm not you going really to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, but he is. I am He is a wonderful photographer there, and there's one picture in particular that. noticed yeah yeah Um,
1: well first let me just say how proud I am of the advent to have some small affiliation with uh, Mike and Lauren and Elizabeth because uh, just y'all are doing such great work down there and uh, and we appreciate it Um, talking about the light um, you got to see several pictures but I probably took 700 pictures down there and just kind of going through them and the one that really jumps out at me is the light being from Christ being reflected back from these children to us, and uh, the one is that really jumps out at me is Raymond and, and uh, Maria when I mean, they're just they're, they're having a great time painting and you know playing with the paint and gets the paint on his nose and it's just it's just tremendous. Yeah, it's really
0: so the light there that you saw from people you it was unexpected to right. see such joy in the midst of what we would consider. Very um, dark circumstances, right, exactly. indeed. I'm going to, Gerald, do you have anything you want to share? <laughs> Gerald Never.
5: Stout. I'm the quiet side, so this is different for me. Um, probably the, the one moment that stands out for me, and I think most of the guys would agree because we, we had a lot of conversation about this, is on, uh, I believe it was on Monday, or was it Sunday that we went to Ramon's house? Monday. Monday. Um, Ramon is a young man 35 38 years old maybe um, that works with Mike he's one of his instructors in the, in the blacksmithing shop and they were nice enough to invite us to their home um, to have a lunch one day and um, to describe their home would be I mean I, I don't even need to try to describe it but it's it's very modest very very modest uh, it's in a line of little modest homes uh, on top of a ridge and I think most of those are family, extended family members that live in this, in this line of homes. And I, I think we were all affected a lot by their hospitality, one. Uh, the one thing that really sticks out in my mind is, uh, I took a picture, I, I haven't shared it, but it wasn't in this, but uh, Joan has seen it. It's uh, the boys, Lauren's boys and Raymond's son, uh, who are about the same age. Uh, digging around in the trash can where they where they keep the toys <laughs> and um i mean we're we're you know we 're talking about dirt floors we 're talking about a dirt yard that 's just swept clean we 're talking about livestock in the yard and and all that, but just watching those kids and they 're the same I mean their circumstances are totally different, but they 're the same and it made me think about us um we're, we're the same as the people there. Um, you know, we, we have abundant material things, even ones with the, the ones of us with the least of it. Um, they don't have hardly anything. But I think we all just aspire for a little bit more, us for a lot more, probably. Uh, to them, I think that's not a burden in their life. I think their difficulty in that understanding of Christ and what he means to us. Is their difficulty? I think sometimes ours is our abundance, and that makes it just as hard for us to find Christ as their difficulties do for them. So that's the, the one picture that really stuck out. Thank you, Jared. you want to pass it? Chuck. Yes, Chuck Doctor Gill. Go ahead. All right. So, all right. Oh, well, I want to. Yeah, or Gill.
2: You want to try Gill first? Or? All right. We'll <laughs> nice. All right. That's the nice
1: way and we <laughs> Um. For me it was just such a privilege to be able to go with this group of men and to see lauren and mike and, and elizabeth in action for probably the highlight of the trip for me was uh getting to work with elizabeth who i've known since she was you know una chica a uh, little girl um uh, where i had the privilege of doing a workshop with the teachers at the school one afternoon and elizabeth my translator we were just there shoulder to shoulder and really going at it. And it was just a lot of fun to be able to kind of bring that kind of full. We even kind of caught eyes a couple of times with kind of a knowing glance. Like, isn't this weird? Like, <laughs> Elizabeth's like, yes, this is very weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just laughed at her. So. <clears throat> um, but to back up a hair, we got together on Thursday night. Um, the, the group did to talk a little bit about the class, but also to get together after the trip one more time. And I threw out a question, which I've been thinking about myself, um, why we... In hindsight, why I have to sometimes romanticize the poverty almost. It's a really hard question. But to to think about what we saw, to make it manageable, speaking for myself, I've got to put a, a turn on it. And then thinking about Deborah, who's leading us to really think hard about the presentation of Christ, the light to the world, the light to the Gentiles. In the, in the time since Thursday, I've thought a little bit about... Um, that great verse in Psalm 139, a different way the darkness is not dark to you. Even the darkness is as light to you. It made me think, you know, well, well, well there's God, so predictable, um, and there's us, so utterly foolish. There's me, so utterly foolish. There's God calling things as they actually are. You know, I see dark, and as say, look, it's dark. <laughs> I see poverty, and say, look, Poor people, I see rich, and I say, "Oh, look at us! You know, we're going to help. We're wealthy. You know, we have something to offer." And God sees things as they actually are. Um, he sees things and says, "It's not dark. There is no darkness to me. Darkness is his light to me. The darkness that you see is his day to me. It's the midday sun." Um, and and that's the upending of it all for me, is the turning over of these experiences, which I've had the privilege of being a part of um, often, and it continues to turn me over. It turns my inside out and my outside in. In in ways it's really ruining, but ways that are really great. You know, I crave that ruining. And then the last piece, and this is one thing I did with Elizabeth when we were there, um, to put a little bit of Bible in it, um, a little bit more. Taught on Luke 13 when I was down there, this great place where Jesus, almost uniquely in, in what we hear about him, he, he does something very sort of contemporaneous. Um, he just comments on two current events at the time, something that we do a lot here, for instance, says, you know, you've heard about these Galileans who were killed um, uh, because they, they, uh, they were executed, because they, they mixed in some, uh, some, 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 some wrong blood in their sacrifices, um, or that there was a tower you heard about this. There was this tower a couple of days ago, and it fell, and 18 people died. And this is Jesus talking. He's like, you think it's because they got what was coming to them, don't you? You think it's because they were somehow a worse sinner than you, didn't you? That's not it at all. You don't see things the way that I see things. They're not worse than you. They're not worse than than, than the other guy. But I'll tell you this. Now I'm preaching. Um, I'll tell you this, unless you likewise repent, so you will perish. And there's the turning over the inside to the out and the outside to the in, which this trip does for me. It's the great leveler, just what Gerald was talking about, that, you know, we're just, you know, Ramon, me, you know, we, our outsides look very different, but the inside, you know, we just, um, there's no different. Dark is dark and light is light. And I get that confused almost a hundred percent of the time until I have a great corrective, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, which is the work of these trips. So that's somewhere my brain's been. It was longer than I needed, but I'm going to pass this to Chuck. Um.
6: <laughs> Thank you. I'm Chuck Osband. Uh I want to talk a little bit about our, Gerald talked about our first day in, in uh, Monago. I want to talk about our basically our uh, last day, and that was when we went to visit a a school for special needs uh, children. Um, In that society, as I understand it, um, special needs children are basically uh, ignored and dumped on the garbage heap of life, so to speak. Uh, They are thought to be, as Gil said, uh, sinners, and their mothers are uh, viewed as sinners, and that's why this great... uh, these great uh, disabilities and illnesses and diseases have fallen upon them and um, and so there, there are no support services whatsoever and the school is offering uh, support services in the way of uh, uh, therapy and uh, just support for these mothers um, and uh, most of the children are uh, have several palsy I think that's the majority of what the Children at the school. I believe that it serves. Uh, I think it was 93 children, uh, most of which have cerebral palsy because uh, their mothers couldn't have a C-section because they can't get to the hospital, so they end up with a, having a natural birth and having the children having a, having cerebral palsy as a result. And just to see, I think we saw a few pictures in the in the pictures of uh, some of these children, and just to uh, see the light that shines in their faces, regardless of the fact that they uh, cannot communicate with us most of them can't or they're certainly much different and their circumstances uh, likely will not change much from going on other than their perhaps their surroundings and the, the little support that the school can give them at the time but uh, anyway, that was a high point for me just to see the to see the light in those in those eyes of those children
2: the hope, even in the midst of it,
7: Uh, I'm Raymond. I'm Chuck's brother. Um, what struck me the most is what happened in this group of men, and I call it the uh, fellowship of the spirit. Um, when, I, when I saw the video today, I noticed, in con- contrary to Gerald, I saw we sat a lot, and I was reminded of uh, what, I, what I get a lot of comfort of is the, be still and know that I am God. <clears throat> and to me that's about surrender to something greater than myself. And uh, that's personally what I tried to do in this process, is surrender to it. And the gift that I received turned my insides out. Um, you know, when I went down, or I signed up for this, everybody asked, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to build? And it was about doing. When I got back, in addition to that question, because Gil asked to be prepared for what was the weather, Um, It's really about being, and and the first person that asked me, thank God she knew what I said because my response to her was, it turned me inside. you know, it was an inside job, and she said, I've heard that, I've heard that's what this is about, and I didn't have to explain what it was. Other people, they look at me with deer in the headlights, but um, Gil also challenged us on the last day to, or the night before, to uh, what is my takeaway? and uh, that stayed on my heart that night and I woke up in the uh, morning and and I have to say that God connected these dots for me this had nothing to do with my ability to sit down and just see these things and uh, what I have to take a minute and explain what we really did down there we, we made furniture various pieces and, and some of that furniture was bought from a Home Depot table but the remarkable thing that is most of the wood came from a pile that had been discarded in a field around this school. And that wood in particular had been used to form concrete. So it was rough on the outside, very sturdy on the inside, covered with, with concrete. And and this wood ended up making, I don't know how many pieces of furniture, desks and some tables and, and some easels and, and whatnot. And uh, remarkably somebody from the school said that, that, reminded us that these pieces of furniture will, will be the platform for relationships and the future for future generations. So I went to bed with that thought, and um, these guys, I hope you wise will let them continue their talent, because whatever they're doing in that woodworking area, they really do have talent. And I'm probably the least talented in terms of woodworking from the group, but they all made me feel a part of something. And when I looked at the pictures and I could see what we were doing, I'm reminded of a picture in my mind. And it's this guy sitting next to me, and we all know what he has done professionally in this community. But he has got a long board, and he's, he's raking that board across a, a piece of cement curb. And I looked at Gerald and I said, what's he doing? And he said, well, he's knocking the cement off, that. And just the vision of that today, really, just because it's very simple, what he was doing. Um, long story short, what it reminds me of is I'm that wood. I'm that rough, discarded piece of wood and uh, through God's hands molded into something different. And for that, I'm very grateful, and I thank you all for letting us do this.
0: Thank you, Raymond. And, David, I'm sorry. You hear the noise out there. Can you say something quickly, and then I'll pray, and we'll all go to church?
8: What struck me pretty right off the bat was the sufficiency of Christ. We we think that we need to help them financially, or we think that... uh, Uh, we can build something or do something. But I saw right off the bat that, uh, especially at Ramon's place, that the money really was not an issue. It was that he was a man of Christ. The divers who we all look at as kind of super missionaries were, were in a bad way because of relationships. And again, we tend to lean on the fleshly relationships and and uh are always disappointed whether it's our child or our husband spouse or our good friends but that if the relationship is in christ that that's sufficient and but just the sufficiency of christ that we we think in our own strength we can accomplish or do these things but it's he guiding us and being a light to our path so that we can uh in turn, be a light to others. Amen.
0: That's so true. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you all for coming to hear about what God is doing in Nicaragua. And let's pray. Dear Lord God, we know that you are at work um, around the world, and you are at work even right here in our hearts. Accomplish your purposes in our lives for your glory. Um, Make known to us that great love that you have for us in Jesus Christ, and transform us into instruments for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.